Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill. Today, folks, we have a personal story where my youngest brother, Philip, ended up going through a major life-changing event from the beginning of the year. But I'm not going to take away from his story. He will share it now in a moment and share what God has been ministering and sharing to him. However, it's a wonderful story not only of the journey that he has been on, but also the journey that the church that he attends, which is Cornerstone, have been on, and the wonderful blessing that they have been to him. And indeed, it is a shining example to all of us of how we ought to, as brothers and sisters in Christ, care for one another. And so that in itself is also a fantastic testimony. One of the things that Phil goes and speaks about in his story which he was sharing with the church. And this is just us listening in on his testimony as he speaks to his home church about the goodness of God to himself and Andrea, his wife, and their children as a family expressed through the hands, feet and words of the body of Christ. Later on, also, Pastor Dominic will also be speaking to us on the topic of prayer as he continues his journey through the Lord's Prayer. So, now, to begin, this is Phil outlining what took place in his life. Hello. I'm Phil. The last six months, I've had a particularly interesting period in my life where I went through a just large period of illness, really. The illness that I've, I've never really gone through. You know, everybody's had colds and flus and things like this, but this was more severe and left me just in a bad situation. So... This is basically the st- my story and what I learned through that period. So back in November, I had pain in one finger and it wouldn't go away. I didn't know why it just was there and it carried on and on. By mid-December, I had pain in my whole hand, uh, my right hand, and it was throbbing. So I started to take paracetamol and urofen to manage the pain at work and during sleep. By the new year, I had pain in my left hand. And the pain had gone from my right hand, and I had pain in my left foot. And a few more weeks later, I had pain in both of my feet. And the pain was so bad that I couldn't walk down the stairs. It took me a few minutes to get down the stairs, probably just because I was just so crippled with the pain. And at the end of January to start of February, I made a decision that I needed to stop working. Uh, So I, I ceased working time, and I just decided I needed to rest because I was in too much pain. After that, it kind of felt like my life was kind of grinding to a halt. Because of the pain, there wasn't really much help at home, and they were helping me more than I was helping them. Life just was getting tough. After a few visits to the GP, I got referred to some specialists who I went to visit and paid them a lot of money, and sadly, it didn't help. And so I kind of continued on, and at at this point, I was kind of just existing and not really knowing what the future held. I was kind of asking God, like, what is the, what, what are you hoping to achieve here? You know, what's the benefit of this? And 
I, w- I wasn't angry with him. I was just wondering, you know. And the church has cell groups, and our cell group came uh, one week, and during the cell, it was decided that we would pray for people who were feeling ill. And the cell all came over and laid hands on me and, and prayed for me. And if you're not in a cell, that really is a real benefit of being in a cell is that you have support of people around you who, who love and care for you. So I would encourage you to join one because our cell has been great to us. A little while later, I was aware of James 5 about calling the elders and I was also aware of giving God his position in my situation. And I knew I was going to see doctors and the GP and whoever I could go to to help me. But I wanted to give God his place of honor in my situation. And so I contacted Gavin and I asked him, can he call the elders? And they showed up with a variety of different oils, which they had robbed from their kitchen, I think. And yeah, we had a chat and they anointed me with oil and they they prayed for me. And I just thought that was a really special time. Dolan was just saying this morning, he had said, you know, you will have a testimony from this. uh, And he's proven right. So I think the other aspect of calling the elders was acknowledging that Doctors are like instruments, but God is like the musician. And, you know, doctors are great. I've, you know, I really like doctors. A lot of respect for them. But God's a, a bit better. So. so a few weeks after that, things got worse. I ended up going to A&E in Tullamore, sitting in A&E for 15 hours in pain. Uh, I got sent home with a couple of different uh, drugs and they told me I had gastroenteritis, so I said, okay. So I had to rest in bed for about four or five days to feel kind of, anyway, back to normal, which I did. And two weeks after that, I was preparing for a market, which we do. Andrea and I had started a market amongst all the chaos of being sick. A uh, great idea. And, uh, yeah, I've been prepping for the market for the next day, and at five o'clock in the evening... I just said to Andrea, Andrea, you're going to have to finish this. My body is just done, um, and you're probably going to have to do the market the next day. And so she did, and I spent the weekend in pain, lying on the bed, changing positions, you know, trying to find whichever way was comfortable. And on Monday, we decided we would go to hospital. Eugen, who isn't here today, we have three doctors in our cell group on the subject of doctors, so very handy to have had suggested that um, we should go to Dublin, to a big hospital. So we headed off to Vincent's, and we really believed that that was of God, that Eugen advised us in that manner because it really brought us along in the journey. And so we're thankful to him for, for that. So I got to Eeyore and spent another 15, 18 hours, I don't know how long it was, until I got to bed at half two in the morning was also delighted to get the bed. And then they decided that I had chicken pox, which I kind of knew I had because the kids had chicken pox and I'd never had chicken pox. So, so they put me in isolation for two weeks and they decided to do blood tests every day. And they, at one point I wondered, was there more blood in the lab than was left in my body? 
I became aware of who phlebotomists are, and I'm very thankful for them. Um, they ran some tests, but no scans. And I needed a scan. I'd been told I needed a scan, and a CT angio scan. And after my isolation was over, I started to push for this. Eventually, on the Wednesday of the third week, they gave me the scan. On the scan, they found a clot in my heart which blew the doctors away, and it didn't blow me away. I was, I was nearly happy they found something because I'd been sick for so long. So I had an atrial myxoma, which is that dot there in the top right-hand side of your screen. Now, my one was about the size of this rubber, so, and the atrium that it's in is only slightly bigger than the size of my rubber, so... There was very little space. It was also going through the valve. You see the two little lines. So it was impacting on the valve as well. So it was decided a few days later that the consultant said he needed to find somewhere to do the surgery as soon as possible. And by this point, they put me into the, the cardio department. They put six-point monitor on my body and told me not to move. I was allowed to go to the toilet and have one shower, and that was it. And so they, they found the matter, and then after five days of waiting, I went to the matter on a Monday. And being priority the next day, literally the, the first thing in the morning, they sent me down to surgery. After going back for a clinic, one of the regs told me that my, my myxoma was actually a bit more serious because normally it's like tight like a ball, but mine was loose and... While I was in Vincent's, I had several clots that went to my brain, and I had a clot in my kidney. So I had uh, two strokes, which will be on my brain till I die. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where my brother, Philip, is sharing his story. In the first section, he was telling us about the process that it took to diagnose his issues, and now... We have come to the point where he is awaiting surgery and that is where he goes and takes back up the story. So I went for the surgery on the Tuesday and I woke up and it felt like a car crash, like something had driven into my chest. From there on, there was a subsequent story of them removing medical apparatus from my body and getting me on my feet, doing exercise and then... The doctors, you could see their clear priority, which was to get me out of there. So after six days, I was to go home. So my brother picked me up and I were repaired and sewn up and strapped up and very, very slowly shuffled into the car. And we drove home to his house for two weeks. So that's kind of basically of my heart issue. And I'm glad to report that my hands and feet, which had been causing me so much pain, have resolved themselves. My heart is, is fine. My chest is good because they cut you open here. And I'm well on the way to returning to normal life. So that's a praise in itself. I have five or six, I didn't count them, things that kind of... I guess during my stay in hospital, I was in hospital for about a month in total, I think one day short of a month, which feels like a lot longer. And I, I learned some things that have stood with me. And the first one is that prayer counts. Prayer counts big. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 said, Do not be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, will, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is probably the most remarkable part of the story for me. I, I'm, not, I'm no prayer warrior. You won't see me there for three hours uh, in the morning and three hours in the night praying. It's something I'd like to improve on, let's say. But as I was in the hospital, I became aware that the church was praying for me. And then I became aware that there was more people praying for me in other places. By the time I'd finished in, in hospital, I was aware that there was people praying in Brazil, in America, and in Russia. Someone in Russia I never even met, I don't even know his name, sent me a scripture from Russia. But I knew that the church was praying for me. And that gave me that peace that passes all understanding. I can't explain it. I was so calm about it all. And, you know, some of you might think I'm a calm person, but, you know, the analogy of the duck who's calm on top and paddling the mud, and, you know, I can be good at that. So I, I, drew, I drew strength from your prayers. And so I, I thank you for that because I want you to know that your prayers matter. So some of the consequences of your prayers is that I had no fear of death. At one point, I, I decided I needed to have a think about dying, as I'd never considered before, as most young men probably have not. And I concluded that it was kind of, as Paul says, it was benefit to die and a benefit to live. And so once again, the peace that came with that, when you know that your life is on the edge, goes, that's, that's a pretty amazing position to be in. I had a thought about the night before the operation, wondering, will the peace crack? You know, will I, I kind of get down there and get hit by a bag of nerves or, and, you know, start sweating like a maniac and going, no, don't do it, don't do it. But it didn't. I went down to the theater and I, I talked to the two nurses who told me they were there for me during the operation. I met the nieces team and they're so good now they don't even tell you they're putting you to sleep. The, it just You wake up after the surgery. So at least when I was a kid I could count to ten, you know. Uh, so another aspect of just the peace that came from is my mother-in-law works as a chaplain in, in St. Vincent's and she sees lots of people who are ill, and it was of concern to her, I think, that I wasn't breaking down or having, like, just big issues that I was, like, needed to talk about. And I th I'm glad, I think, that I convinced her, and Andrea too, because uh, that actually I was okay, and that God was sustaining me through this process. I hope that that was uh, a message to her about God's strength. Another aspect was uh, the surgeon came in for about three minutes. He only stayed three minutes because Andrea had questions before the surgery. I'd, he would have been there for one if he could have got out without questions. And he kept talking about luck all the time. And Andrea says he, he said, I needed a bit of luck just to survive the operation. But he, he kept saying, look, look. And in my head, I was just kind of chuckling to myself and kind of thinking, this guy doesn't know how many people are praying for me. There's no luck, no luck involved in this. Um, 
Christo came to see me the night before the surgery, and he, he told me, there's so many people praying for you that God's hand is nearly forced at this stage. He has no choice. So it, if you're wondering about prayer, I know it's, it's a kind of a, you know, you do it and maybe you don't see the results of it. This is a, a real-life example of you did it and there's the example. Thank you for that. Another thing I considered while I was in there was focusing on the right stuff. And I was aware about giving the devil a foothold. And I knew if I gave him a foothold, he'd make hay with it. And he would create a bag of nerves who's afraid of what's going to happen. So I made, I guess, conscious decisions with that in mind about what to do. And, you know, everybody's aware of Google. And I was like, to Google or not to Google? And I I don't need a lot of details, so uh, I was happy to leave it up to the surgeons. I reckon they had done enough uh, study for it. And there was probably not much I would find on Google that would help me on the operation table. So I never researched anything. And I think that was a real help in my journey of peace because I guess my dependence then was totally on God and as I kind of thought about that I was thinking that you know if you give Satan space you will start to think about the things that Satan is putting in that space and while you're doing that you're forgetting about who God is and so I didn't want to forget about who God was nor did I want to forget about you guys praying for me because I felt like that would be a disservice. So instead, I, I was very active uh, with replying to messages, which if you, people know me, I'm not great at that. And I was replying to messages of support, and I was so grateful for that, and I hope uh, people were blessed to get my replies too. I was reading a couple of biographies of Christian people I know, and that was a blessing too. The biggest thing, I think, was that I, I, I have just YouTube music on my phone, and I would listen to worship music. And that was really helpful. It just, you know, I had my earphones in, and there's a, one song in particular is The Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. And I would start with that every day. I would put that on, and then I would let the algorithm do the work after that. Uh, <laughs> But it almost felt like God was in charge of the algorithm. Like, I, that's, you know, reading into things a bit. But there was songs I'd never heard before that spoke to me. And worship music takes on a richer, deeper meaning when your life is in the balance or when something is serious. And just it, songs spoke to me so much. And I could, I could feel God speaking to me through these songs. I didn't have a lot of energy to, to read, and so worship music was a much better option for me. Plus, there was a lot of hours to fill every day. So, yeah, focusing on the right stuff. If you focus on the right stuff, you will see the difference. It might take a little while, but you will. You'll notice it in yourself after a little while. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information.
Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where my brother, Phil, is sharing his story. Another thing was that small acts can have big consequences. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The best example I have of this is, while I was in hospital, in a period of 24 hours, I received messages or someone talked to me about Psalm 91. So three different people in the space of 24 hours said, I think this is Psalm for you. I, I just, God has put me this on my heart. So a, a friend of ours from the church we used to go to in Dublin when we lived there, Zandra, she listens to God, to the Holy Spirit's prompting, and she sent a message with a chunk of it. And she was the last one of the three, and I chuckled and sent her back a message quickly and said, you won't believe it, I've got this from two other people already today. Andrea had sent it to me also. And the, the person who, I guess, for me was the bravest in this situation is the nurse in the ward. So there was a nurse called Shermel, and he came in to do the night shift. And he didn't know I was a Christian but he knew that I had a heart, major heart issue, obviously, because he's in the cardiac unit. He came over and he said that, I, I think that you should kind of hold on to Psalm 91 while you're, you're going through this. When times are tough, I encourage you to read Psalm 91. As it turned out, I was like, oh, I said, I'm a born-again Christian. And so we had a good chat about this. And, but it, I was just, he, he, he might forget me but I don't think I will ever forget him. And I guess my thing from this is that, once again, is everyone is there, Christians, are given opportunities. God has prepared these things for us to do. All you, know, all you have to do is step into them, you know. And some of them are really easy. Some of them are, are just listening to the Holy Spirit saying, you know, have you thought about calling this person? Have you thought about sending a text message to this person or you're reading like your Bible and you're going, you know, the verse stands out and you're thinking about someone. Some of them are a bit harder, you know, require going, doing things that, you know, take a bit more effort. But if you listen to the Holy Spirit, I, I think he will give you some nice baby steps uh, at the start. And I would encourage all of you to do that because small acts can have big consequences. Shermel went out of his way. You didn't have to do it. You could consider it a risk in work to be talking about your faith to uh, essentially your customers. Um, and, uh, but he did, and, um, and I'll remember that forever. Um, so I'm grateful for that. The first six verses of Psalm 91 in particular are so applicable to my situation. And it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snail and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor does the plague that destroys at midday. I just find that so, so comforting. And when it came to peace, I was already at peace, but it kind of felt like God was providing another layer of peace just to back up things, you know, just in case you were doubting a bit, 
just here's an extra bit just so you know since that Andrea actually told me yesterday my mum had received the same verse from my aunt uh, the same piece of Psalm 91 and Tanya had also sent it to Andrea in a song version and so there's five times God is saying the same thing to you so the next thing is that generosity is beautiful and you have been very generous to us while I was in hospital, it was obviously difficult. More difficult for Andrea than me, really. A lot of the time I was resting, taking it easy, having my meals brought to me and you know, putting my feet up in general. But people were so kind to us. They, they brought us, have brought us meals. So many meals that like the freezers were rammed when I got home and we spent a month or more eating meals. People gave their time. They looked after our kids um, and minded our kids, even though they were crying and wanting their mother and father, even though he wasn't there. And people have given their money. This church did a collection. And that's been such a blessing to us, you know, to take any pressure off about, you know, when will, what bills will we pay? How will we pay them? People have given us vouchers, um, mostly for groceries. And, and it's been, we've said... It's been amazing. You see our bank balance is much improved just because we're, we're, we're paying for our food with gift cards, you know. The, and people have come to visit me uh, in Dublin and in my brother's house and, and my house. All of these things have been just amazing to us. And it kind of became a running joke between me and Andrea where she would come and tell me in hospital, such and such a person is minding our kids. Such and such a person gave us this much money. As you can see, I'm crying. The joke was always, please don't tell me any more stories. I'll be too dehydrated to go for the surgery. And genuinely, I, I, just, I was just like, oh, no, Andrew, not again. I, like, I spent so much time crying in the hospital. I, I don't know if the nurses thought I was okay at all. Once again, your generosity makes a difference. And the generosity of people outside the church, um, people... God used to give us gifts who uh, aren't Christians or part of the church family also. Neighbors who cut our grass and all sorts of things that you just don't even think about when you don't need to. And so thank you once again on behalf of both of us. We're highly appreciative of everything that you gave us. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. There was one word in this and it just stuck out to me and it was like, lens. And I was like, lens. I was like, that doesn't fit. Uh, and then I was like, okay, you know, like, then I went, what a debtor to have. You know, if you can lend to the Lord, you're pretty much guaranteed he'll pay you back. And it's just, you know, it makes being generous easy in a way because you're like, you know, you banked that and you're, you're, you're getting interest. So don't, you know. So that's just a little verse for you in that. The last thing is about God's protection and deliverance. In the six months prior to my operation, some of you will know I come from farming stock. So I was out on the farm chopping timber. And then as part of that, I was lifting heavy logs, like considerably heavy logs, over to be chopped. We went to center parks when my, it was just my finger was annoying me. And I followed Eli endlessly up flights of stairs to do all these slides. And 
I worked until four o'clock at night when with the market on you know several weeks while doing my other job. I decided to dig part of the garden up uh, as well, and the ground is all. It's really bad ground, it's wet, it's sticky, it's heavy. And the builders decided to put all their rubble in the back. Uh, so I found two boulders that were so heavy I couldn't lift them. I, I physically had to try roll them up out of the trench, roll them across the lawn and try roll them up onto the trailer because I, I, there was no hope of me lifting these. I did all of these things with this in my heart and it is only God's protection that has protected me and delivered me and I also had the clots in hospital which were on my brain which could have been so much worse after the surgery when they were removing all the bits of things from your body that they put in which astounded me how much gear they can get into your body with in your sleep tracing wires they're there to keep your heart going at a proper rate and to monitor your heart for the first day or so after the operation so they took off the apparatus, but they left the wires there just in case they needed to, to come back and plug it back in again. But then they decided after another day that I was healthy enough to remove the wires, and the nurse went to do it, and she gave it a tug, and she's like, ooh. And she's like, maybe I'll get the doctor. And I said, that's a good idea. Why would you take the risk when there's a doctor out there? And the doctor came in, and she gave it a tug, a bit more than the nurse. She's like, ooh. Maybe I'll get the reg, which is a grade above her. And so he came in, and he didn't worry at all. He gave it a tug. And he, uh, he, I was so thankful to God that after giving it a good tug, he was like, oh, look, here it comes, you know, as calm as a cucumber. And I was, like, breathless and in massive pain. And it was in a, the clinic afterwards that one of the doctors told me, yeah, you, you know Neil Armstrong who went to the moon? Yeah, he died from that. They pulled the wires and he bled out and died. And it, So it's given me thoughts about going to the moon. Maybe I'm fit enough. <laughs> On the subject of God's protection and deliverance, I just Psalm 91 verse 1 again is that those who go to God most high for safety will be protected by the Almighty. Psalm 46 verse 1 is God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And this one is quite poignant, I think, to me, because the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver him, Psalm 34, verse 7. I, to I just told you the list of things that I did which put huge stress on my body, and I think only that the Lord encamped around me was I, I protected from that, because, you know, I did as much as I could to, to aggravate my heart, so uh, yeah, I really pushed it to the limit. And so God is the one who protects and delivers. If you are in need of protection, God is already there. If you have a minor or major heart issue, you can depend on God. Maybe you need to go know God's love for real for the first time. Maybe you need to know you can really trust him. Maybe you've known God for a long time and feel like your heart is cold. Maybe you're in crisis or feeling down, need help. Uh, to move a mountain or a molehill. Whatever it is, you can depend on him. I never would have chosen open-heart surgery. It's not something you go out and pick, you know. But at some point in my hospital stay, I embraced it because I was aware that God was with me in it and that there was an opportunity down the road that I would get to tell you about God's love, kindness, and mercy. And 
here I am today as a living example of God's love and kindness and mercy telling you this. Midlands 183. Good morning to you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. This is Pastor Dom back with you again through Nigel's kind invitation to join you today on Heartlands, Midlands 103. These are the Disciples' Prayer Devotionals, and this is number six, entitled The Recognition. Ah, do you remember the smell of freshly baked bread in the kitchen when your mum was doing the loaves, baking the scones and the boiled cakes and the apple tarts? Those were the days. But think about the whole process of planting the seed and harvesting the grain. And what if the very seed or grain wasn't available? What would we do then? I will never forget how my father-in-law John would declare that he believed the disciples' prayer wasn't for his time. He believed that it was for a time in the future when God's people were truly praying for their daily provision, perhaps even now. Now when Ukraine, the bread basket of Europe, can't get its abundance of grain out to the waiting world, thousands may starve without it. My, how his words seem to have a ring of truth about them now. So let's read the disciples' prayer again. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the fourth petition that Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. Notice how the focus has changed away from our Father, his holiness, his kingdom, and his will to focus on us and our needs of daily provision, ongoing forgiveness, and guarding deliverance. Let's consider the recognition of verse 11 in three ways, the community, the dependency, and the necessity. First, the community, give us Remember how we were told to begin this prayer. Our Father, we are no longer self-determining individuals. We have been brought into the community of God's family, and therefore, with his love, we should always be looking out beyond ourselves. And again, while Jesus is teaching that a disciple can use this prayer privately, It is especially to be employed in a corporate way with our brothers and sisters in Christ, in church, with our local family of believers. And they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, Acts 2. We must also have the recognition that we are looking to our Father to meet our needs collectively. And as we heard in the very first devotional in this series, when we pray, we must remember that we are part of God's worldwide family of believers, that we have no right to ask for ourselves anything that would harm another member 
of the family. If we are praying in the will of God, the answer will be a blessing to all of God's people in one way or another. So said Dr. Warren Wearsby. Jesus is also training us to selfless rather than selfish prayer, not the give me what I want prayer. No, real prayer is for our daily needs and not my selfish greeds. No, when we pray give us, we're being trained to look out to and around for others, to be concerned about not just myself, but about the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the community. Now think about the dependency. Give us this day. Do you remember how the Lord trained his people to trust and obey him when he brought them up out of Egypt in Exodus 16? The people were grumbling against Moses and Aaron and their apparent lack of provisions. And then the Lord provided quail and manna for five days and gave the clear direction of how they were to gather it in, just enough for each day and then double provision on the sixth day. Yet even with his incredible provision of quail and manna and clear direction, stubborn wills had to be overcome, and that process always takes time. Do you remember how Jesus sought to train his disciples, telling them not to run after the things that the pagans pursued, Matthew 6, verse 32, but teaching them to depend upon their heavenly Father? And even when he sent the twelve to drive out evil spirits in Mark 6, here were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, and no money in your belts. The lesson that was being taught by the Lord in Exodus 16 and again by Jesus in Matthew 6 and Mark 6 was dependency. Is it not the same lesson that we as disciples are still being taught today, dependency? We're not to push unpleasant prospects away, but to embrace these testing trials, looking to see how they will mature us and how our Heavenly Father will meet all our needs in the midst of these trials. An old rabbi once said, He who possesses what he can eat today and says, What shall I eat tomorrow? is a man of little faith. We recognize too that we can be weak and willful like the Israelites of old. It is only constant dependency that keeps us close to the Lord. He keeps us this way so that we will know his presence and learn to pray for the good of others this day. The necessity, our daily bread. Down through the years, there's been much discussion about the exact meaning of this phrase. Is it to have the privilege of daily breaking bread with the Lord at this table, as in Luke 22, verse 19? Is it to be feeding daily on the bread of his word, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4? Is it to be feeding daily on the Lord who called himself the bread of life? John 6, verse 35. Perhaps it is wise just to read the phrase in its plainest understanding as a simple request for the daily necessities that sustain day-to-day lives, and especially 
those of others. But there's a deeper meaning in verse 11, that our Father cares for all our physical needs. Did Jesus not model that same care for those who sought him out? Look back to the garden. What did Adam and Eve lack? And in King David's day, he wrote, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. But while we depend upon the Lord to meet all our needs, we also need to recognize the training and teaching that we ourselves, as his people, are all undergoing. Prayer and work go hand in hand. The living seed comes from God, but it is man's responsibility to plant and cultivate that living seed in the best conditions for its growth. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Our participation in God's plan has always been his intention. Are we not called his fellow workers in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1? The recognition of this verse is indeed powerful. We need to consider the community, the dependency, and the necessity. But perhaps the greatest recognition to take away is our cooperation with God in his plans for all those around us. Finally, as in our previous devotions, I leave you with a quote and a question. God's bounty and man's toil must combine. Prayer like faith without works is dead. When we pray this petition, we are recognizing two basic truths, that without God we can do nothing. And that without our effort and cooperation, God can do nothing for us. William Barclay So are our prayers selfless enough so that we will work to see others' needs being met? May you be truly blessed today, listeners, as you consider these words of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Amen. Amen.